Welcome to Let's Get Writing, the podcast that explores the creative process of writing from books, scripts, plays, and poems to songs and blogs. This series focuses on authors, publishers, and artists. Catherine's guests share their process of writing in all its forms. Listen along to discover personal journeys behind their work, explore options from indie to traditional publishing, and learn tips and secrets to inspire you. Welcome to Let's Get Writing. Welcome to Let's Get Writing Season 4. I'm your host, Katherine Taylor. Well, Let's Get Writing is all about the writing process from creation to publication. And here is where I hope you can find inspiration ideas and, most of all, meet the people behind the stories. We bring life to books and so much more. Let's Get Writing is available each week live on my Facebook page at Katherine Taylor Media. And all shows are permanently hosted on my YouTube channel at Katherine Taylor TV and also available as podcasts on Podbean and other podcast platforms. And if you like your content on the go, that's a great way to get it. I also love your feedback, so please share your ideas and comments. And also support me if you'd like to do that. Subscribe and never miss another episode. Whoops, losing my headphone here. Now, my guest today is returning to the show for a second time by the popular demand of me. He is a Governor General Award winner and is the best-selling author of 22 books, fiction, literary, nonfiction, poetry, and plays. And so I'm told, and so I have experienced, he also has a great sense of humor. And we're going to bring him up now. Hi, Kevin Major, if they haven't guessed who it is. (laughs) Great to be back again. Great to be here. Oh, it is great to have you back. And I remembered uh, from our last conversation that I said it wasn't nearly long enough. So that was why (laughs) I'm bringing you back by popular demand of me. I wanted to continue talking to you about your body of work and all the wonderful things that, that you've done over the years, but most especially what I hold in my hand today. book three of your crime series, Kevin. Mm. And uh, I think we're all enjoying this. Um, but before before I do that, I always like to embarrass my guests. Let me do this first. <laughs> oh, <okay>. let's, <laughs> let's show a very young... <laughs> this is before 22 books, and in the middle <laughs> is after 22 books. <laughs> Kevin, uh, this picture was on your webpage, which is kevinmajor.ca, folks. And Kevin, as a young boy, I have to ask, were you a reader or did you have a vivid imagination? Where did it start? Uh, I was definitely a reader. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I love to read. Um, I can't say I was a writer, at least if you were to judge by the little bits of material you'll find that I wrote at that age in, in, for example, a school yearbook, (laughs) Uh, I would be somewhat embarrassed to (laughs) see that in public. Um, But I did have an interest in writing as I I got a little bit older, um, especially in high school. And I can remember uh, a teacher saying to me at one point in grade 11, uh, Kevin, I think someday you're going to write a book. Mm -hmm. 
And hopefully he didn't say that to to many people. And it kind of stuck with me. And I guess it was some confidence booster as well. Um, I went to university. I was going to become a doctor, actually. I, I graduated from a pre-med program. I was accepted for medical school. And I kind of was drew back and thought, is this really what I want to do with my life? And, and nagging in the back of my mind was the idea. Maybe I would like to write, at least give it a try and see if it would work. Mm -hmm. And we're very glad that, that you did for sure. And um, Kevin, you know, those words where you mentioned a teacher had said to you one time, I think maybe you'll, you'll write a book. It's, it's, and you were a teacher for a period of time. Yes, as I was. Well. Yeah. 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 It's so interesting how things can influence us or impact us, our mm. confidence growing up and, and those things that we think about after the fact. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of interesting. I mean, now and then, uh, not it hasn't happened terribly often, but now and then I, you know, I have contact with a student that I taught who will say, you know, you said this to me at some point in my life, and I, I obviously don't remember it, but he's, you know, that was a that was a pretty big influence. So as a teacher, especially, I think, uh, you know, sometimes you say things that hopefully make an impact, but you never realize, in a sense, how much impact it may possibly make. As as a teacher and uh, as a parent too, Kevin. Yeah. And, and that brings me to Nick <laughs> <laughs> and to Sebastian Sinnard in the the star um, or the protagonist of, of mm. your new series of crime novels, and um, and I and I think Sebastian looks at that and thinks about that sometimes how he's going to guide Nick and have different conversations mm. with him, which mm. you. A beautiful relationship there that yeah. you're developing yeah let's talk about crime fiction a bit kevin because that i, I mean so many people have read you for your um historical fiction mm. and so many things and all of a sudden right hand turn into mm -hmm. crime <laughs> is anyone <laughs> ma anyone mad at you <laughs> i don't know i mean uh, they have enough other things to choose from in my in my career as a writer to uh, to to satisfy them um yeah, you know, it was a, it was not something that I actually really intended to do. Um, but my wife said to me at one point, Kevin, you have a really good sense of humor. Uh, your books recently have been pretty heavy and, you know, heavily weighted historically and a lot of uh, research and background. Um, maybe you should uh, lighten up a bit and... Um, I thought, well, I'll write a murder mystery with a sense of humor. <laughs> murder mysteries are not not often uh, light fiction, but in this case, uh, given the character of Sebastian and his relationships that develop in the course of the novel, I think there are times. Uh, I think you felt that that you could you could laugh at the situation and laugh at his humor and enjoy it. Uh, and at other times in the book, it gets pretty serious, you know, it gets uh, violent at times. So it's, it's, it's trying to make that uh, blend uh, work together that I think is a challenge for me, at least. Yeah, and, and I think it's to make a character that we like. I, mm. I, think, I think Sebastian's very likable because he's, mm. he's, he's flawed. I mean, he <laughs> certainly doesn't run the show perfectly. Yeah. Relationships or his, 
he's blossoming a private eye business and <laughs> <laughs> all those things. And I, I just think he's a character that we love to love to love. Yeah. And yeah. And he's, he's, he's real. So even though you have the other elements there, mm. I, I enjoy spending time with him and especially those offhanded comments he makes <laughs> at the end. Like he's, you, you know what he's thinking. He's saying one thing and then he's thinking something. <laughs> Kevin, is that, that what you're like at all? <laughs> well, my wife would say there's some parallel between Sebastian and myself. Um, you know, that was, that was one of the attractions of the, of the, of writing this for me is that I saw the character developing through the course of the book. Uh, his experiences from book one are a little bit different in book two and in book three. His son is getting uh, getting older, so there's different issues developing there. Uh, his own relationships with um, his female interests in the story are changing. So he's developing in, a, I think, an interesting way. And for me, uh, that is as interesting to write about as is the, the crime itself. I mean, you had to balance the two, obviously. Uh, mm -hmm. But I, I think it's, you know, it's in, in lots of ways, the books are character driven. Uh, they're, they're plot driven, as most uh, crime fiction would have to be. But also there's, there's the characters play a definite important role in the story. They definitely do. And, and Kevin, one of the things I, I wanted to ask you, in writing crime fiction, mm -hmm. I mean, you drop seeds or whatever they call breadcrumbs mm -hmm. along the way, but right. how hard is it to have an ending that's going to surprise people? Or, or is that important to you as you're writing? Or do you know, I often think it would be challenging to um, mm -hmm. move the story along without giving away too much. How, how is it from the point of view of writing them? How do you find yeah, that? Yeah, well, that, that's, that's definitely the case. I mean, you want, as, as it moves towards a climax, you want it to be surprising in some way, at least some some turn that it takes. And I think you found that in, in, in the three books so far. And I'm interesting you should say that at this point in time, because I'm in the midst of writing the first draft of the fourth in the series and I'm at a crucial point where you know everybody thinks this is what's going to happen at this point of time but there is something going to and I'm not actually quite sure what yet uh, that's going to make a, a little bit of a uh, 90 degree turn in another direction that um, I at this point hadn't counted on and hopefully the reader doesn't as well and so yeah that that that's an important part of writing uh, these type of books, I think. And you mentioned about getting the clues um, mm -hmm. to add up. Um, that's important because you want to um, ha drop some hints, as you said, in the course of the book. And uh, and then you for the reader to say, ah, right. I, yeah, he did say that back there. And this is where uh, an editor comes in. <laughs> it's tremendously important. Um, I think especially in these books, um, her, her role has been to obviously read through and then pick up where may, maybe things don't quite add up. Um, you know, you said this here at page 60 and suddenly you're not really taking that into account when something happens on, you know, page 130. 
so it's her role. I'm a great editor in, in Marnie Parsons, and she's meticulous, which is what I really want in a, in an editor to to read it and reread it and and pick up even the very minor points uh, that I think some editors would probably let slip by. Uh, that's that's important to me because you want you want everything to to work through in, in a logical and uh, correct manner. And when you mentioned, I didn't know who your editor was, but when you mentioned Marnie Parsons, and I am, I'm assuming it's the Marnie Parsons I've interviewed, she's, mm. um, I can absolutely agree with your assessment mm. of her. Mm. I think she, she would pick things up and mm. would challenge that. Because that was another one of my questions, Kevin, like who gets the job of editing your books? And at the point, mm. you know, I said 22 books. Um, do you still feel you need an editor all the time? Uh, oh, I, I definitely do feel I need an editor. And, you know, I sometimes read books by very well-known authors who I think, hmm, you know, this, this could have done with more editing. Uh, you know, and, and maybe some authors have inflated egos by the time they get to be, if they get to be bestsellers and they say, well, I can, I know what I'm doing. I did it right. So... I don't need anybody to tell me, um, but you know, an editor, an editor, I think is is key to success, success of a book. Yeah. Mm, so we never outgrow the need for a good. No, editor. I, I don't. I don't think so. No. <laughs> yeah, and 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 you know that makes sense. Another set of eyes on a book, they're always going to oh. pick up something you won't see. Yeah, yeah, especially the point at which it reaches the editor. We, I mean, I've I've done through the first draft of the book, I've gone over, I've reread it, polished it up to a point that I think this is the best I can do at this point in time. Then the editor will read it and make comments, <clears throat> sometimes general comments, but then, you know, as it moves on, more specific comments. And uh, as the author, you kind of, you know, we are so, so attuned to it, so much mm -hmm. moment that you lose that, that perspective. Ideally... Yeah, ideally, I, if I had the time to deal with, would be to take the manuscript after I finished uh, polishing up and set it aside for six months and then come to it fresh. I don't have that luxury if I'm going to bring out one <laughs> crime novel a year for the next few years. So We're not going to give you that luxury. <laughs> <laughs> well, coming to this point, um, we're talking about you writing this series and writing books every year. And right now we have, I'm just going to show in the stream, this is the first one. Okay, we had one for The, the Rock. And right. then I've, I've noticed in your titles, um, I think it's the direction I go in, two for The Tablelands. And here we are now at three for Trinity. Mm. And uh, how high can you count, Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm committed to count to five at this point. I have a, a contract with Breakwater to produce... Uh, five titles, three of which have been published, so there's two more to go in that particular contract. And we're going to see after that point uh, where I am in, in... Ideally, I like to continue, at least, um, you know, I've already know what four is going to be, and I actually know what five is going to be, uh, even though I haven't started it. Uh, and I can like kind of look down the road uh, to the other title. Um, you know, if people are not familiar with the books, should know that Sebastian is also a tour guide. Uh, besides being a private eye, he blends the two. 
And I did that specifically because I wanted to be able to take the setting of the book, settings of the book to different parts of Newfoundland and Labrador. So the first one was set uh, pretty well all in St. John's. Um, then we moved to the West Coast uh, for much of Two for the Tablelands. Here we're on the Bonavista Peninsula. Where are we going next? I'm not going to tell you, but you know, <laughs> it's four for something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> four, four for fortune. <laughs> could be, could be. So, um, yeah, so, you know, and then that, to me, that also helps make it fresh. He's, uh, he's changing as a person. There's a new environment. He's in a new relationship. Uh, there's new scenery physically in the, in the makeup of the book. And we're, we're discovering also a different part of this wonderful province that we live in. Which I think you're very passionate about. Newfoundland mm. is so prominent, prominent. Newfoundland and Labrador, I yeah. should say, not to forget Labrador, is so prominent. And you, you seem to have a great love for the province and wanting mm. to share it in many ways. Mm. It's, it's always there. It's like a character in all yeah. your books. Yeah, it's very, I'm, yeah, I remember, I don't think there's, I can't really think of one book that didn't have Newfoundland in it to some extent. I mean, some much more than mm -hmm. others, but um, yeah, it's always there in my mind. And, and I just often said to people, I feel so fortunate to have been born where I was and grew up where I did, uh, because this province off, offers so much in the way of possibilities for backgrounds for books and, you know, mm -hmm. set absolutely kevin when you mentioned the the process of keeping a, a series going and some of the tools you mm -hmm. have of change of location and mm -hmm. his profession but all, all those um murders happening mm. <laughs> or, or <laughs> things that are happening in newfoundland and when we we chatted earlier uh I think you said someone you knew or might, might be a friend or a former friend <laughs> <laughs> who said to you, ha, that's unbelievable. We, you know, you can't keep setting these murders in you. <laughs> what, what, what do you say to that? <laughs> well, what I say is this is a work of fiction. And, you know, as a, as a reader, you, you kind of put that out of your mind and, and hopefully enjoy the story. Um, the person was right. It's, it's maybe somewhat illogical that he's every, every year on a tour, he's going to somehow uh, encounter, uh, you know, a, a crime that needs to be solved and, and, and a murder that needs to be solved. But, you know, that's, that's what the story is all about. And uh, um, the reader sus suspends his, his disbelief in that and, and goes with the story, enjoys the character. And uh, that's, all, that's all, I can, all I can say. I mean, you, you add up the number of uh, murders in Newfoundland in any given year, you're not going to find as many as Sebastian is going no, he, he to deal with an, over time. <laughs> he lives in excitement. He picked the right sideline. <laughs> he, he sure did. If he was going to have a side hustle, hustle uh, P.I. was a very good choice. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin, we were talking about the books, and I, and I do want to ask you a bit about a few of the, how, how you keep it all straight. But I, before we do that, I'd like to give you a chance to read a little from 
um, from the book so okay. folks can get a sense of your characters. Okay, sure. If you would like to take take it away for a little while here. Okay, let me just give a little bit of background. I won't take very long. So it was set uh, in Trinity for the most part. And Trinity is the home of Rising Tide Theater. And Rising Tide and its artistic director, Donna Bottas, some, uh, someone I've had a, a professional relationship with for a long time. She's uh, produced some of my scripts as plays and so on. So the murder actually will take place on stage as part of a performance. And this is, this is how it unfolds at the beginning. Innie <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> comes from stage left, looking every bit the part in a check shirt, an overly wide tie, a mismatch for the plaid jacket and baggy pants. He's unsteady on his feet, looking a bit like he hit the bottle one too many times, very definitely gone to seed, edging towards the farcical. His dialect is slurred and not decipherable by the audience, even though we're mostly Newfoundlanders. He's taken a seat on stage in a courtroom behind a railing and is just about to hear the charge of theft. He squares himself up, prepared to lay out a defense. Suddenly, without warning, he collapses. He hangs illogically over the railing. The audience roars. His only movement is the heave of his chest generated by a prolonged round of coughing. The audience laughter comes to an abrupt, en abrupt end. The infectious perils of open coughing have been so ingrained in us over the past several months that everyone instantly checks that their face masks are secure. The audience bubble seated closest to the stage stiffened, prepared to retreat. The most theater savvy among us are wondering if what happened on stage is not all part of the skit. Hmm. The character is unceremoniously dragged off stage, causing a few people to chuckle tentatively. But then the storyline falls apart. The remainder of the cast stands mute and miserable, clueless what to do next and tearing her way from back of the theater where she's been watching the performance is Donna Butt, hair flying, sputtering behind her face shield so intensely that it fogs her view of the audience. She abruptly snatches it away. Sorry about that, folks. No need to worry. He's been tested. They've all been tested. It's his asthma, probably mislaid his puffer. You know what, what the young crowd are like these days. Sit down, folks. Enjoy the rest of the show. Meanwhile, I'll make sure he's okay, which is meant as much for the cast left on stage as it is for the audience. The space is cleared at the skits propped and in record time, uh, Donna is hardly out of sight before the fiddle is back in action, displacing the pall that has pervaded the theater. The show goes on, these things happen. I glance at Ailsa, she's not so sure he leans close to me and close to my ear. I think I better check this out. He abandons her seat, the tour guide behind her, both of us trying to look inconspicuous as we take the same aisle, the same side entrance, sorry, to backstage that Donna has taken. We hear her before we reach the cluster of people around the fellow. 
who by this time has finally stopped coughing. Good God, where's his pupper? Lyle, if you're drunk, I'll have your head. We watch as one of the stagehands digs the inhaler out of Lyle's pants pocket. Ailsa steps forward. I'm a trained first responder, she says. Donna snaps a look at her, but before there's time to ask the question, Ailsa flashes her identification cards. Inspector Bulmore, RCMP. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, Inspector Bulmore happens to be on the... Um, on the tour with uh, with Sebastian, and uh, she's an she's an RCMP officer, mm, and also somewhat of a romantic interest for Sebastian. Yes, well, this is it. You hit all the hot points <laughs> in this story of Sebastian. We do have the romance, we have the father relationship, we have mm. the murder, we have the scenery in Newfoundland. I think you have the perfect mix <laughs> <laughs> to appeal to a, a broad range of people. And how does Donna Bott feel about being a, a star in your book? It's not that often <laughs> you see that technique makes sense because that's the tour guide yeah. for you, I think. Yeah. But uh, how did that all come about? <laughs> well, as I said, I've known Donna for quite a while. And um, so I, I had this idea for the book. I mean, I could set it in Trinity and give a fictitious name to a theater company and a fictitious, um, you know, theater director. But everybody would think, oh, that must be Rising Tide and, <laughs> and Donna Buck. So I said, I, I got in touch with her and chatted with her. And I'd gone out to, to Trinity last summer uh, and said, you know, I'd like to, I'm thinking about writing a murder mystery. How would you feel if you were a central character in the story? And she thought about it for a while. And I said, well, I'll send you, you know, I'll send you a few pages when I get going on the book and uh, read and see what you think and let me know. And I didn't hear from her for a long time and finally we made contact again. She said, oh sure, go ahead. I said to her, you're always a risk taker, Donna. So this, <laughs> this only goes <laughs> to prove the point. <laughs> well, there, and, and you know what a great promotion for, uh, well, <laughs> in some ways <laughs> for their theater, yeah. theater, uh, theater within the, uh, within the book, but, yeah, it's I, I I did wonder about that, and it's very interesting that it's there. And I do feel that I think I would have made the same decision in your shoes. How can you write fictitiously mm -hmm. about that? We're all going to make that yeah. association. Yeah. So yeah. why not do it? You know, and she's I mean, and Donna's a if you know Donna, she's a character in herself, and you know, a lovable person in so many ways. Uh, but you know, she has an edge to her. After all, she's a, a theater director, and and you got to get the performance on stage. And, uh, you know, when she gets to the serious points, she's pretty cut and dried about what needs to be done with a, with a performance. So, uh, yeah. So let, I'm waiting to hear from her. See what <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe we'll have the two of you on <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to discuss it. That, that would be fun. That would be fun. Kevin, in writing a series, I, I know you talked about the things that, that anchor you, give you lots of leverage, mm. such as he's a tour guide, Sebastian, and so on. Mm. But how do you keep it all straight? Because do you do you keep character profiles? or Because if you write one book and, and it's mm. done, you kind of can put that aside. But when you're continuously bringing yeah. it forward, how do you handle that? Uh, well, I, you know, when I 
before I publish anyone in the series, I read, in this case, read the other two again uh, and made some notes about them because, uh, you know, if he's a certain age in one book and advances a year, then we have to be careful that we're right on what age he is or how, you know, when is Nick's birthday? So what age would he be in, you know, in May versus some things that happened in September? So. Uh, so that, that's important and, you know, even kind of the spelling of, of certain names. I know when I did um, Two for the Tablelands in, in the, um, uh, the draft that I sent to, to Marnie, uh, I had misspelled the character Frederick because I had spelled it with just I-C. And I looked back at uh, One for the Rock and I discovered that I had spelled it with a K on the end. So, you know. Mm -hmm. don't make don't want to make that that mistake um yeah so you know you just i guess i do a character profile in my mind uh, and with some specific things that i would need to bear in mind as i'm i'm working through but you know he's also a character that's evolving and changing so i want him not not to be necessarily consistent because he's in you know it's a new book mm -hmm. i'm is in a different relationship and is bringing out a different aspect of him. And all those things. Well, Kevin, once again, our time together has come to an end ever so quickly. And who knows, there may be a part three to this <laughs> as we continue down the road. I just want to, to thank you so much for sharing your expertise and um, and taking the time to to visit me again on Let's Get Writing. Thanks very much, Catherine. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Me as well. And don't go away. We're going to do an Instagram, Kevin. Okay. <laughs> we'll go live there. Thank you, folks, for joining us on Let's Get Writing. Don't forget to subscribe and catch all your favorite authors right here. Thank you. Bye now. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear from you. So please let us know what you thought of this episode and share your ideas for future guests or topics. You can email us at letsgetwriting at katherinetaylor.ca. Don't forget to subscribe and even leave a review. And if you love this episode, share it with a friend. Until next time, believe in yourself and let's get writing.